Coder Lux and Monica. Amen. Would you stand for a moment? And uh, in response to what Bishop mentioned around the leading of the Lord, would you just take a moment and believe with me, believe with your brother and your sister for God's direction and leading for this body, for your body, for your church family? Do you trust that he will provide? Do you trust that he will lead? We trust in you, Father. Is your confidence in him today? We trust in you to direct our steps. We trust in you to order our walk, Jesus. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. First off, I want to give honor to every, every father in this room today. Father, grandfather. Any great-grandfathers? Amen. God bless you. I want to thank you. You know, honor in the, in the Hebrew means to give a weight. It's directly tied to weight. And it means a weight of distinction and respect. When you give honor in um, lifestyle, in obedience, in love, you, apply, you say that this thing is not light. It is, there's a heaviness to it. Not in a bad way, but something that holds you down. There's a weight to respect. There's a weight in reverence. There's a weight in honoring. And you fathers, you know, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. But then it also very quickly, as it goes down the list, it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. In that he gave his life for the church. That is heavy. That's weighty. There's a weight. And we as fathers must apply that same weight, and we're equipped for it, that same weight to how we honor the Lord and honor our families, honor our parents, those before us. So I want to honor you. I think oftentimes, you know, a Father's Day sermon message can turn out to be, where are the fathers at? It can have a tone of, we need to do better. And I'm not saying we don't need to do better. But the answer to the question, where are the fathers at, lies in this room today. I look around this room and there are fathers everywhere. Of every age, every walk of life. Every season of life. And you deserve to be honored. You deserve to be given honor for the weight that you apply to your role in fatherhood. Amen. Let the way that we honor our role as fathers reflect the perfect father who is here for us all today. Amen. <clears throat> So I, I did want to just pause and, and start with that statement. Because I'm not here to tear anyone down. I'm not here to, uh, to tell you you need to do better. I'm here to point you to the Lord and his word. And trust that his word would move someone. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's me and someone else. Maybe it's 
the majority, maybe it's all of us in this room, let the word of the Lord move us in his purpose and his calling. I, uh, I had a dream last night. <clears throat> and my, my wife's eyes got big because I never have dreams <laughs> unless I have melatonin. <laughs> and I didn't have melatonin last night. Um, usually it's just, it's, you know, we have a, we have a very break in, a, in case of emergency kind of jar in our medicine cabinet. All the parents of young children say amen. There's a small doses of melatonin in these beautiful gummies. And every once in a while, if it's early enough, it's 8 p.m. 8 p.m., I can deal with it. 9.30, 10, I need to stay away from that stuff because it messes with my morning, the, mo- the next morning. But, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sneak in a, maybe my, my son doesn't need a whole, you know, milligram of melatonin. I'll just, I'll literally, I'll give him two-thirds and, you know, the dad tax, I dad tax him the, the third, the first third. Anyone else do this? Just, just honor your, you know, obey your mother and father, right? Um, <clears throat> but I had a dream last night. It was pretty jarring. I woke up, and um, on Sundays, the routine is to wake up and to... Um, I actually usually, because it's early enough and our Saturdays are full, Saturdays in our house are for family because of work, the demands of life, and just the day-to-day. We just don't get as, as much time as we would like to have dedicated family time. Not family combined with ministry, not family combined with work, um, but just family, family time. And so um, <clears throat> all that to say, I woke up and, uh, you know, I got my clothes laid out. And um, my goal is to get to the church as soon as I can from the time of waking up. And as I do that, I begin to meditate on the Lord and talk to him and talk to him in the car and um, with my cup of coffee or my cup of water with a little bit of pre-workout in it. And uh, as I do that, you know, the Lord begins to deal with me about some things. And oftentimes it's just preparing for what will take place today. Uh, This morning I woke up and it was a jarring dream because it was so violent. I don't have, I, I very rarely dream, like I said. And when I do dream, there's nothing to write home about. There's just not really much happening up, up, up there <laughs> at night. And um, this dream was different. I'll spare you the details, but it was me standing on the street watching. I don't know if had, this had anything to do with us driving through all of Seattle. It's probably that. All right, there you go. She has spoken. And we saw some things in the city. We used to live in the city on First Ave, First and Broad, and so just a couple blocks from the Space Needle. Um, and I used to work in the city, I used to bike all over the city. And um, so we have a connection with certain spots in the city, mostly have to do with food <laughs> and, and various bowls with noodles and pork broth. Um, but as, as we drove around, you know, I think that maybe some things were deposited into my subconscious. At least that's what the science would say. But I woke up this morning after this dream where I was standing on the street and someone walked up to another individual and just repeatedly began instantly to commit an act of violence. And I won't even say what the act was, but it was violent. It was such an attack on that person. And um, I, as soon as I woke up, because of what I felt like I needed to do, and we had some errands today, uh, specifically around picking up some donuts for, for the, the dads today. So 
there was a little bit of a schedule, but I needed to get to the church. And as I went through the routine, the Lord brought that back in my mind. Hey, don't, don't shuffle that away. And what, what could I possibly get out of a really, if I'm being honest, a weird dream about people being violent with each other? About someone committing an act of violence and killing another man point blank in front of me and then seeing it again on the other side of the street? What could I possibly gain by hanging on to that mental image? I've taught before about imaginations, about strongholds, about thoughts, and, and all those things, and what could turn into, you know, what could escalate. And so my initial thought was casting that away. But the Lord said, no, no, there's a reason. And I gave you a clear picture, and I allowed you to just see for a moment what the world is doing in the spirit today, what is happening on the streets, what's happening in the culture, what's happening in society, and that is acts of violence. There's a psalm that says, it starts with this. It says, why do the heathen rage? And it speaks to, it's just asking the question to the believer. Why does it feel like those who do not have the truth, who don't walk in newness of life, who don't have the love of God in them, we as believers see it and go, why? Why is there such rage? That's the word. Reference, why do the heathen rage? That's not, why are the heathen annoyed? Why are the heathen irritated? Why are they bugged? No, because you can be irritated and sit. You you could be irritated right now, (laughs) sitting where you're sitting. But this question, this verse, this psalm poses, why do the heathen rage? Why are they in such violence and in such anger and my my duty is not to pull out the reasoning for all of that but I I believe my purpose today the Holy Ghost spoke to me my purpose is to continue walking where I'm supposed to walk I've been given the ministry of reconciliation You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, you've been called to serve redemption to others. Not to walk along this, with the same worldview, with the same attitude as those who are just in a rage. Not controlling their emotions. No control over their actions. All they know is there is an anger. And they must act on that anger. And it results in violence. It results in death. It results in man against man, woman against woman, generation against generation, ethnicity versus ethnicity, nation versus nation. There's an agenda that God has been preparing me to just say some things about. Um, And... I have to be very honest. Uh, I'm going to make some pointed statements. I'm not going to be G-rated over the next few minutes. But I'm looking around the room. The kids are in Sunday school. And those of you who are here, I think you're old enough to handle these concepts. We need it. There's an agenda that's attacking us, and I'm here today to attack the agenda. There's powers at work in the world, and I'm here today to declare the power of the name of Jesus, which is above all of those powers, and can tear those down. I'm not here to, look, we're, we're not here, we're not going to attack any people. I'm not attacking a person. Amen? We don't attack people, but we can attack the principalities attached to those people. Oh, Jesus' name. Look, let's pray for a moment. Would you pray? In the name of Jesus.
In the name of Jesus, we don't war after flesh, Father. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, Father, but they are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. In the name of Jesus, I declare strongholds be torn down today. In the name of Jesus, I pray clarity in the spirit today. In the name of Jesus, I pray peace in the storm. In the name of Jesus, give me discretion, give me wisdom, give me an ear to hear what I need to hear today. And listen, even as I say that, I'm realizing there's going to be some things that I say that are going to hit close to home. They can hit close to home. And let that be for a reason. Godly sorrow is good in that it moves someone to repentance. That's conviction. The enemy would like to condemn you and say, you've been doing this. You deserve this. But Jesus, the Spirit of God working right now in this body is here to tell someone, if there's something close to you, something we're talking about that's near you or it's influencing you, or it's just around you by nature of relationship, family, coworkers, friends, and all of us, it's around us in the culture. Recognize that. I'm not attacking you, I'm attacking the spirit behind, attacking the spirit that's trying to overcome you. I'm tearing down the thing that would seek to destroy you by attaching itself to you. Let's read some scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. That we henceforth be no more children. This is to the church. That we would walk not as children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking, here's the key, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In other words, God is saying, you need to be speaking the truth in love. And as you speak the truth, as you hear the truth, and as you receive and speak it and share it and live in it and abide in it with love, you will grow up into him in all things. And who's him? It's the head. It's Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14, 15, 16, and 17. We're just going to read a couple here. And I'm... I'm, I'm going to reference some scriptures. I don't expect you to turn to all of them, but if you are taking notes, write them down because there's going to be, there will be some reference points here for you, I believe. And the word was made flesh, John 1, 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. When the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, church, it was in a manifestation of grace, in a manifestation of truth. The, the one ultimate example of what it means to have grace and truth together, side by side, working together. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, this, is, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. And here's the key verse. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. There's some things being yelled out into the world right now, probably in your ear right now. And I need you to understand we need to speak the truth. I just feel such a pressing in my spirit 
not to just stand and watch, but stand and walk in truth. I don't want to just be a passerby or, or, or uh, someone who would just stand by holding the truth, but I want to be walking in it. That's when we'll, talk, we'll deal with this, but that's when the armor is active. That's when we get to war just by walking. It's when we decide, I'm not going to just stand. I'm going to walk. And there, there's some things being yelled out to you. Let me, let me tell you a couple of those things. Love wins. <sighs> Live your truth. Celebrate pride. First off, pride is the precursor for destruction. Why would I ever celebrate that which precedes destruction? Why would we as a culture uphold and honor? Remember, honor, put weight behind, respect something that the Bible says precedes fall and destruction. There's no grace in that. He gives grace to the humble. He allows a fall to those who live in pride. The statement, love wins. I think what people mean to say is that we should let love guide us. That, and I, I, I truly believe this. I think there are people with good intentions. There are people with good intentions everywhere. Kids have good intentions. But a kid can pick up a gun with good intentions, with playful intentions, and do some real damage. And so this is where truth, truth comes into play. But there's a narrative. I, I truly think there are people who have been convinced I can be selfless if I would let this idea of love guide me, if I would let love lead me. And I think it comes down to different definitions of love. There's a love in the world that is based purely on flesh, purely on lustful motives, purely on appeasing the lust of the flesh, what the eyes want to see, what the body wants to feel, what the ears want to hear. That's what the love of this world promotes. So it says, it defeats itself because it says, let's be selfless and let's let love win. Let's coexist. Let's be proud in the way that we are different. Let's let love win. And my definition of love comes from the word of God because that's where my worldview comes from and that's where the way that I see the world and how I interact with my kids and how I am in the workplace should, should be defined by. It's the word of God. And the word of God says, greater love hath no man than this, that he should lay his life down. In other words, real love is sacrificial. Real love is more than emotion and it's more than feeling and it's more than what do I want, but it's about the needs of others. So I think actually the term love, the phrase love wins from a believer's point of view, I'm never going to do this as a cliche, but I do believe it's true. Because God is love, and he does win at the end of the day. We're on the winning side. The battle has already been decided. We've got to wait it out. We've got to endure. We've got to stand. We've got to walk and remain. And there's a job for us, but the outcome is already decided. And God wins. So, yes, love wins. It's just a different type of love. Jesus' name. I'm going to read another passage here. We're going to get into it. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. 
Actually, let's start with 22. I want to back up. Leviticus 18.22. See, here's a problem with modern theology. And you need to be careful where you get your Bible study material from. If I can be honest with people today, you need to be real careful. There's a lot of Christians out there. There's a lot of Christians who also think it's okay to murder babies. There's a lot of Christians who believe that, hey, this part of the Bible, we can explain it away. Because this modern-day theological framework allows us to explain this away. It's just a metaphor. It's just like a comic book. And so because it's a story and it's just about the principle behind it, we can ignore the actual thing that says do not do. He's just, he's just speaking to us in metaphors. No, there are some things that the Bible says this is an abomination and we need to steer clear of it. Leviticus 18.22 says, Thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Do you see how clear this is? Let's back up one verse because we, we forget just how tied this is. This is the agenda of the enemy. I believe when God gave Moses these instructions, when the Israelites were told this, when the Levites were told these things, God saw the future. He saw the things that were messing with the Israelites then, and he sees the things that are messing with the church now. And he saw the future. So this, in the same vein that he said, don't lie with mankind as with womankind, it's abomination. Let's back up to verse 21. And thou shalt not let any of your seed pass through the fire to Molech. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Do you see how seriously God takes when the, the, his name being taken in vain? Number one. And number two, just as serious as it is to take his name in vain or profane his name, which, you know, you could walk 10 steps and, and hear that out these doors. In the same vein, it says, don't let any of your seed pass through the fire to Molech. Um, without going into an all-out Bible study, which we might do at a certain point, uh, Brother Bass has touched on this. In the ancient times, there were gods such as Baal, which was kind of a universal term, the fertility god, the god of plenty and harvest. And there was a god named Molech. And the nations around the Israelites would serve these gods. Think about this, arid desert nations who relied on rain and water and the flow of river and the flooding of rivers to provide for the people. When it flooded, that meant fruit. That meant sustenance. That meant I could live another year. When it rained, that, means, that meant we could eat. And in that time, the, the nations around Israel began to practice what is called um, this, this worship to Molech and to, to Baal. And the way that they worshiped to these gods was Baal required, as Brother Bass talked about recently, a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was your firstborn. And as crazy as it sounds, millions, it was common practice for millions Every family in those neighboring nations, whether it be the Amalekites or the uh, Moabites or whoever it might be, practiced this practice. And that was, hey, I need my family to be taken care of. So my firstborn, I've got to give him to the God, Molech. How, how despicable. Hard to even say it. But this was common practice then. To succeed in life, to have sustenance, to be okay for another year, to have plenty and secure the future for my family, 
I must offer up my child as sacrifice. Let that sit with you. And the nations would practice this. The nations went along with it. God was clear. Do not. Do not. This is an abomination. Trust in me to provide for you. And so back then, it was common practice to sacrifice your kid, your your firstborn child, to secure your future wealth. And we think that's crazy. We think that that's that's absolutely just despicable. And how, how how could anyone go along with that? Because these were real ceremonies. I'm painting a vivid picture. These were real ceremonies in a high place. They would build high places. They were, these were altars and temples to these lowercase gods of, of, of pagan nations. And they would put their children on the altar. And when it says pass through the fire, it means they lit the fire on that altar. And we think, how could that be? Of course, the wrath of God, as the Bible says so many times, was kindled against those nations. Of course, God would take, in my opinion, great pleasure in handing over the nation that was promised to the Israelites by taking it away from the Canaanites who practiced this tradition. Because it's an abomination. And God hates abomination. And I'm here to attack the spirit of abomination today. There's a spirit of abomination that has entered this world again and is seeking to devour the culture. It's not a spirit of just a slight disagreement. It's not a spirit of there's your truth and there's mine. It looks like that at first, but what it truly is is an abomination unto God. And it's out in the open. Let's pray for a moment. In Jesus' name, I need your wisdom, Father. I need your wisdom. I need your love in operation, God. I need your power in operation in my life, God. You are the source. You are my strength, Father. In you we live. In you we move. In you we have our being, Jesus. We think that's crazy. I asked Brother Kendrick to look up a statistic a couple minutes ago. And we think it's crazy, but today, church, today, there's between 1,700 and 2,500 child sacrifices being offered in this nation alone. You think, what, child sacrifice? Yeah, because we live in a culture today, we live in a time now that says you want gain in life, you want a smooth path, you've been wronged, you need to make it right, you know how to make it right? to get rid of the mistake in your womb, to kill it, to undo it. Let's take it into our own hands. And today, just like in the past, just like in those, those the millennia ago where, the, where families would sacrifice their children for the sake of their own future, today in this world, it has become commonplace to do the same. 1,700 to 2,500 children in this country alone today. Let that sober you. But let the Spirit of God move in you and and comfort you right now and give you purpose. We're a peculiar people, is what the Bible says. We are called to stand. We are called to be a contrast. And the contrast that I have in my spirit today is that God sees those children and he says, they are precious in my sight. I knew them before I formed them. I have thoughts of them. That's, that's my worldview. Let that, be, let that be this church's worldview today. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
There's something that Jesus said. You know, they, they, when I said be careful of the Bible study material you take in, there are those who, who explain away even that, these scriptures that we just read. And they paint Jesus as being full of grace, but also open to whatever truth. They paint Jesus like this figure, figurine, for being honest. It's blasphemy. They paint him as just being full of grace and period. Let it empower you. Let it give you confidence that we as a church stand and are rooted and are growing up into him, which is full of not just grace, but also truth. There is a truth. It's very clear. It doesn't change from day to day. It won't change this generation and the generation after me. It will not change. It's, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. His word is forever settled. What he said goes then, goes now. What he said is an abomination then, it's an abomination now. And let it be clear in this house. Let it be clear in my family. Let it be clear in my walk where my allegiance lies. Matthew 18, verse 5, it says, Jesus said this, Whoso shall receive one such little child in my name. This is Jesus, full of grace, Jesus, loving Jesus, but also Jesus, full of truth. Whoso receiveth one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Let's go back to verse 6. Do you see how clear this is? We think, man, we hear that scripture and we're like, this is Leviticus. This is Old Testament. That must be something one of the prophets said. This was Jesus in all his love and compassion and mercy, which is new every morning, telling the people, if you offend one of these little ones, if you cause them to stumble, if you're the reason, it would be better if a millstone were, were tied around you from your neck and you were thrown into the ocean. That's how strongly our Lord feels about the children. And this is the attack. I feel such, such a burden in my spirit. Sunday school is not just babysitting. Sunday school is not just for your kids to have somewhere to go. But this church, we believe in it. The generation after us is the generation that's here right now. And God cares God cares about our children. He, he loves our children. And the enemy seeks to deceive, to lie, to divide, and to seep in an agenda of abomination into our children. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that over the years, since, since my birth, I know for sure, that the, the age at which the enemy is given clearance to attack the, genera the people gets earlier and earlier by year. Brother Crosby, 10, 20, year, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the enemy could attack the children by the time they got to middle school. Right? It used to be a thing. 
hey, you know, that's when parents, especially when Christian parents start to wrestle with choices. Oh, man, do we keep our kid in it? We really got to watch the influences on their life, things like that. Is it any wonder that what used to be when they were 13, 14, 15 is now the moment they enter kindergarten, the moment they enter pre-K? I had a man tell me just a couple years ago, my daughter, we enrolled her in in public pre-K, and one of the first things they asked on the first day was, hey, what do you identify as, preschooler? And he said, what do I do? I'm thinking, I'm a little fired up, he told me on the phone. He said, I'm a little fired up. I think I think I might want to pull them out, and I think we might try this homeschool thing. And I'm not, I'm not telling you, do this, don't do this, but there's a principle behind it. I told him that feeling that you're getting, there's, there, is, there is conviction in your spirit, and you need to act on it. You are the father of the home. You're the leader of the home. And if there's an unsettling in your spirit, you need to go to God with it. And if there's a peace in your spirit, you take action. You lead your home. Don't just be the one that provides. Be the one that protects. Any men in this house today who are walking in that? Any men in this house, whether you have biological children here or not, there's a fatherhood presence required of every man in this church. Mentorship from generation to generation. Whatever involvement you have in whatever ministry, wherever you volunteer, there is a presence required of you. There's a role required of you. If someone's walking in that, I wonder if you would just lift your hand and declare that unto the Lord. I'm asking some men right now, would you begin to lift your voice? Jesus name Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13 you don't need to turn there but it's another example it says if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, I understand this is Leviticus. This is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, if you stole, commonplace, and there's some places in the world today, your hand gets cut off. If you stole. So Old Testament law, ancient law, there's a punishment for an abomination. I'm not here preaching the punishment. That's God's job. God is the judge. I am preaching protection. I am preaching we need to be aware. I am preaching we need to walk in moderation. Paul told the Philippian church, let your moderation be known unto all men. Let how you discern and the amount of discretion involved in your life, let it be so clear in your life. How do we do that? How do I walk with such discretion that people are like, wow, that guy is very discreet? No, I mean, just full, very walks in discretion. Very wise, I think is what someone might say. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Spirit. And you need to be walking in faith that your sins have been removed from your life through the name of Jesus applied to your life. Otherwise, you're, 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 you're walking uphill. I told you I'd be saying some things today. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. This is all scripture. For this cause, let's, let's read about the world back then. And maybe the world right now. For this cause, God gave them up. You want to push against, if the culture wants to push against God enough, at a certain point, there's, there's a principle, right, Brother Oldman? It says, he will allow you to enter into a reprobate mind. He will give you up. He will give you a strong delusion. Those are ways that it says that. If you resist the Lord enough, and I mean not by 
you know, being indecisive, I mean, you, you per- participate in an abomination. You commit acts of evil, whatever it might be. You do that long enough and you resist against them. He will give you up into vile affections. Basically, he will release you into it. You want to do that? You have free will. For even their woman did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And we have to realize it's not just the men that I'm talking to today. It's the woman. It's a whole culture. We need to be aware. You know, it's okay to have distinction between gender. In fact, it's not just okay. It is right. And let the people of this world understand that there's nothing in my life that can confuse them and, and allow them to put me into that bucket. Oh, you must be okay with this. No, 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 no. You're, you're, oh, you're like a, a neo-age Christian, a new, new age Christian, right? Like you're one of those believers who believes, you know, you, may, do you have a coexist sticker on your car? Where, look, I'm, I know I'm, I don't mean to make fun, but I, we, need to, we need to be clear. We need to be clear. And I'm not being clear because of my opinion. I'm being clear about what the word says. You understand that? The same word that says God loves me. The word says, the same word that says, by the way, that, no, that y- you are not beyond redemption. Redemption is available for everyone. And that's why I say you might be here today and you might feel like there's some things being attacked in you and around you and whatever it may be or, or influencing you or in your family or whatever. But God is saying redemption is available to everyone. Redemption into right order. Redemption into how he created you to be. Let's get through the scripture. I'm sorry. For even their women did change against the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here's the key. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. It's talking about doing those things that are against nature. God created you as man. God created you as woman. God does not make mistakes. There's no accidents in this world. No accidents in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You get the message, but I want you to just understand. It's not like one or two spots that the Bible says, hey, you know, steer. Bible's not indirect. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. That word is interesting to me. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Effeminate means, you know, it's not that you're trying to be a woman, but you're kind of acting like one. Let it be, let, we, it needs to be clear. <laughs> Can I say that? It needs to be clear, and we have to understand that the culture is going to push things, even against parents, on your children that seem harmless. It's okay for you to take a stand. It's okay for you to draw lines that are way beyond culture's lines. In fact, I encourage you to do that. One day they will respect you for it. One day they'll thank you for it. I say that in Jesus' name today. One day your daughter, your son will say, thank you for drawing those lines. Thank you for being the parent I needed in that moment. Jesus' name. Now we need to do it with love, with all wisdom, with discretion. The Bible also says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. 
Don't just bash them with truth. Jesus was full of truth and grace. So let's operate in grace. Let's live in his truth, not, not you know, living in our own truth. In Jesus' name. There's, there's a couple things, a couple more things I want to say. Um, because I think some people will, would, would tell me, man, you know, it's a rights issue, elder. There's just let them, let them be. Let the people be. It's a free country. And I get where you're coming from. Very surface level, like like lobby level of that logic. It kind of makes sense. It's a free country. I'm free to worship whoever I want to worship. Yahweh, Satan, LeBron James, whoever it might be. And it's true in a sense. But again, I'm, I'm saying, I'm coining that term. You're free to use it. Lobby level logic. It's just like front door, just past the front door. You got to go a little bit deeper than that. And to, to counter the idea that, hey, man, it's just, it's just, it's just you know, rights. It's a free country. I want to read you a quote from a song that was released by the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir. And um, it was released and then, and then revoked in that it caused... As you can imagine, as you'll hear, quite the response. Thank the Lord. You say we all lead lives you don't respect, but you're just frightened. These are, I'm quoting the words, okay, to this song. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. Just like you're worried, they'll change their group of friends. You won't approve of where they go at night, and you'll be disgusted when they start learning things online that you kept far from their sight. Here's the last statement. We're coming for your children. The gay agenda is coming home. The gay agenda is here. You understand, I'm not preaching hate. I'm preaching love. God is love. And God draws very clear lines. And my life needs to align with his word. I need to, I need to love what he loves. And I need to think what he says is an abomination is an abomination. I need to stand for his truth and stand knowing what's a lie with as much confidence. In the name of Jesus. Yes. Jesus name is it is it any wonder that what he says an abomination for, for mankind to lay with mankind is right next to the idea of sacrificing your child to the god Molech. That's why they're connected. Because God wants your kids. He wants you to sacrifice them physically if he can get you to do that. Then he wants them to grow up confused. To the point where you question your own faith. To the point where you question your own foundation. Jesus' name. God loves you. Someone hear me today. God loves you, and he is leading you. He wants what is right for you. His word is ever settled, and it says that he knew you before you were formed. He knew you before you were formed. 
Jesus' name. I'm almost done. Some thoughts, I, I, I wrote this down. We're, we're moving from, it's not just a rights issue anymore. We've moved beyond rights. I'm not saying, hey, you know, anyone can walk in here with any type of lifestyle. I, I'm 100%, I had to pray about that statement. Let my actions align to that statement. Anyone can walk in here because you know what? His redemption and his reconciliation is available to anyone. And he, he came not to condemn. He came not to say, you're all going to hell. No, he said, I came to seek. I came to save. I'm looking for one. I'm looking for the one. I've got my 99, but there is one out there, and I'm looking for them right now. So if, if you're here today and you're receiving this with conflict, I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking the spirit that's attached to you. I'm attacking the spirit that is influencing you. In Jesus' name. We move beyond the rights. We're going into recognition. And frankly, we're beyond recognition even. We're, we're saying forced celebration. You must celebrate this. If you don't celebrate, if you're quiet about it, that's loud. I've heard, I heard someone make a statement because I work at a very progressive organization. Very. And someone made the statement, the silence is deafening. Because in their eyes, if, if I am not openly and yelling and condoning and allying, that's the term, if I'm not an open ally... I'm a secret enemy. They need to understand. I am an enemy. Not of them. I'm not an enemy of them. I don't hate the person struggling with homosexuality. I don't hate the person who maybe has an abortion in their past. I don't hate. I, I love them with the love of God. I'm called to love them. I'm called to reach them. I'm called to pray for them. But I hate the spirit that's at work at this world that would seek to confuse. I don't want to be quiet about it. I don't want to be silent. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. There's, there's talk of this country, right? Um, man, we were... Such a Christian nation. And I'm not condoning and, and trying to say the whole White House needs to be apostolic doctrine. And if it's, if it's not the case, it's a failure. I'm, I'm not making those types of statements, but there was a change in the law. And I have to understand and be clear about this. We used to protect things that are pure marriage between a man and a woman. The law protected that which is pure. The most intimate thing that could hap transpire in life outside of the Lord. Godly marriage. And now we're supposed to openly not just, not just say that marriage is okay, but we're supposed to protect sin. Now I'm, I'm being called, I, I, the, the law used to uphold that which is pure, but now it's being made to uphold something that's very much against what my word says as a believer, not as a halftime Christian, not as a Christian who only believes part of the Bible. I believe the whole thing. So you, you need to just understand that the law, you know, it, it is moving in that direction. Man, I want to call the musician up. Here's another thing I want to address. There's, there's two things. The first one was about rights and how it's, it's, it's not a rights issue. Number two is uh, this idea that we're surrounded, that this culture, this agenda is everywhere, and maybe it's too late. I have loved ones in this. I have family members 
I would just ask you the question because I, I don't want to just be up here and, and saying this is wrong. I believe we have a job to do. We have actions to take. And that question I have for you is when they think about you, do they think about Jesus? When they think about who you are, if someone were to ask you, who is this person to you? So I'm, I'm serious. Someone struggling with that ideology. Someone struggling with the abomination. When they think of you, when someone were to ask them, what do you think of this person? Your, your family member, your brother, your sister, your, your uncle. Do they think of Jesus? Is Jesus at all in that picture, in that statement that they will give? Because you're the light in their life. And they're not beyond redemption. Can someone hear me today about that? The family member, the loved one, the coworker, the friend you have who is in that lifestyle, they are not beyond redemption. Just as strongly as I believe we need to take a stand and we need to say what is right and wrong, just as strongly I believe God is able, God is strong, God is wise, and he has a power unlike any other to reach into the heart of the person who is struggling, the person who is in that lifestyle. Do you believe that today? Let that be how we walk. name I asked the Lord what what do we do Lord what do we do from here where do we go from here I, I it's good for me to see I've got I've received the dream of what's happening and I can see it clear as day what's happening in the world what do I do in response and here's, I, w- I want to read, you're going to think that this might not, this is a little bit out there, but in John chapter 15, I believe there's an answer here. There's two things I want to share with you. John chapter 15, verse 16. It's the, it's the chapter about the true vine of who the Lord is and how we should abide in him. Verse 16 says, you have not chosen me. But I, the Lord, have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So here's, here's the thought that the Lord gave me. What I'm called to do in this world is to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit the fruit that he desires to be born out of my life. I I better bear it more than I ever have before. The more that the world says I'm openly attacking the agenda of Christ, the more that the world attacks our children, the more I have to bear fruit in my life. Let my fruit be in such contrast. Let what God births out of my life be so clearly different. And let it remain. There's a couple of things in there. Three things, actually. The Lord showed me. Purpose, production, and permanence. The first thing is purpose. He chose us. He ordained us. He, he set you where you're at in your workplace, brother, for, your time, for this time. Brother Jaden, it's good to see you. God put you in your career, in that job for a reason. His ordained time. The Bass, what he's got for you, it's your ordained time. He chose you. It's purpose. He purposes you to bear fruit where he wants you and when he wants you. Sister, your business, where it's at, it's for a purpose. I believe it. I believe it in Jesus' name. And there is a, the next thing is production. He doesn't just plant you somewhere. He w- seeks to produce you. And let, it, let it convict us today. 
Where am I going wrong here? Where is there maybe a disconnect? Am I not maybe walking in the purpose that God has purposed me for? Am I bringing forth the fruit? Am I producing it or am I not? And the last thing is permanence. You've got to persist. You've got to remain. Because that's what the word says, that your fruit should remain. That's how God sees us. Let that which is born out of my life be in such contrast with this world. Let that which God births out of my life be in such contrast with the agenda and the ideology of this world. Let me walk in such clear truth, the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, the spirit filling, the baptism in the name of Jesus. Let me walk in that so clearly. Let there be such clarity in my walk. Let there be such clarity in my doctrine. That even just being there attacks the agenda. The second thing I want to share with you before I open these altars is is Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. You can't go to this battle. You can't war after this agenda because uh, with the normal things. Remember, we're not fighting people. We're fighting principalities. We're not attacking humans. We're attacking the spirit behind the things that influence humans. And to do that, I can't do that without my armor. I can't do that without truth, without righteousness, without faith, without salvation, without the spirit. I wonder if you could stand all across this place. Look at how much joy it it fills these families when their kids come back with their, their Sunday school craft and all of these things. There's, a, there's such a preciousness. The word of God says precious. You are precious today. You're precious in his sight. In Jesus' name. I'm here to tell you today you can live. You can do it. You can walk in this world in truth. You can be a man of honor and humility at the same time. You can walk in courage and not fear over what the agenda of the world is. You can do it. Young person, you can can go to school and be a light. I believe there's some things that have been communicated today to your spirit, not by the sound of my voice, but through the word of God. If that's in operation in your heart, I just want to open these altars. Would you come and make a stand? Make a stand by kneeling. Make a stand by your submission to him. If there's something in you that registers, You, you don't have all the answers, but the one with the answer is here today. And there's a call right now to build the altar, to let him know, I am not of this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I'm part of the chosen generation. I'm a part of the peculiar people. If that's you today, He loves you. Would you respond to the love of God in this place?